So we're going through our series on Mark, and uh, as you know, uh, a few weeks ago, we uh, talked about engaging in his power, retreating in his presence. Uh, the, the week after that, we talked about how Jesus meets our needs, sometimes precisely, sometimes plentifully, but always perfectly. The week after that, last week, we talked about trading, uh, trading man's tradition for his truth and what that looks like. And this week, we're talking about how Jesus relishes bold prayer. So my, my encouragement to you is when you pray, not to be nice and polite, but to allow faith to pound on his door. Okay, that's what we're looking at today. All right, let's turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Mark 7, verse 24. And as you're turning there, I'll just remind you again that we're talking about Jesus relishes bold prayer. Allow faith to, to pound on his door. Mark 7, verse 24. says this, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered the house and he did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. This woman was a Greek born in, in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and, and the demon gone. If we can turn down my mic just a little bit, Cody, that, that would be great. It's, uh, it's a little bit loud. Okay, so this is Jesus' first lengthy foray into territory outside of Israel. Okay, it's his first time really out of the Jewish area. Yes, he's popped over the lake, over into the region of, um, on the other side of the lake. That was when he healed that guy who we called Crazy Dave of his legion, a legion of demons. But that's really it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I also preached on the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 in the same sermon, but the feeding of the 4,000 4,000 actually hasn't happened yet. Um, that, that, will be look, uh, that, that happens in chapter 8. So, so this really is Jesus' first foray outside um, of his region. Verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered the house and he did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Now, the city of Tyre used to, used to be an island off the mainland, but 400 years earlier, a guy that you may have heard of, um, whose name was Alexander the Great, he built a causeway uh, because, because, that, little, because that's, that town was really holding off against him, and so he made a causeway, he uh, went in, he won the battle, and since then, uh, that, yeah, that, that region is now actually linked onto the mainland. Uh, so in Jesus' time, this would have been part of the mainland for as long as anyone would have remembered. Now, if we were to look at Matthew's version of what happens here in chapter 15 of Matthew, we actually find out that Jesus wasn't on his own. He was with his close friends, with uh, the 
members of the disciples. And, and we read in Matthew 15 that actually their, their response when this, when this lady turned up, their response was actually pretty rude. And, and they said, Lord, send her away. And so what that leads me to think is that they were on some sort of a retreat, okay? They were way away from home, you know, you know they were wanting some R&R, some real alone time. And so this focus of their time there wasn't for healing, it was for retreat. It was for Jesus really to pour into the lives of the disciples. And so that may be why in verse Verse 24 of 7, Jesus seems to be a bit hush-hush about him being there in the town. He doesn't want anyone to know. But as we've seen in Mark's account so far, Jesus cannot keep his presence a secret. Um, he's a magnet, you know, and, 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 and folks just keep on getting drawn to him. So he's, he's, so he's, left, he's, he's, he's left home. He's headed 40 or 50 miles away into this uh, new region. Um, wearing his his hat and his sunglasses, and you know, hoping that no one recognizes him with those who are following him. But hardly before they've settled into their first-century Airbnb accommodation, there's a hammering on the door. Verse 25. As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an, by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in. Syrian Phoenicia, she, she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, you, you may remember uh, back in Mark chapter 6, verse 32, where it says, so they went away by themselves to a solitary place, only to find a needy crowd, a needy crowd there on the other side of the lake waiting for them. Well, here it's happened again, but it's not a crowd this time. Now it's a woman, but she is intense, and she's not really taking no for an answer. And so here's the good news for you, is that if you really want Jesus Christ, he will be found by you. You know, that there's no way that he can hide himself from the serious person who seriously seeks him. He will be found by you, as we see here. And, you know, it's neat because we just heard um, uh, one of the verses in the worship time was Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13. And here it is again, which says, Then you will call on me, you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so what that shows us is that Jesus is waiting to be found by you. But the question is, how much do you want him? Would you be willing to hammer on the door of a retreat with Jesus Christ and the followers of him and say, I need something that's more important than what you're doing right now? How, how large is your need? How large is your want? I think it was um, maybe 2006, and I was in Spain with Wendy and my family. And there were two of our friends from our time on the Logos 2, this, the uh, ship we used to live on, Roberta, um, and also uh, a lady called Vicky. And as we were walking along this, this um, little street, we saw Rod Stewart walking along. 
You know the, I was going to quote a song, but that's not appropriate on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Maggie May, right? Yes, that one's okay. And <laughs> yeah, there, there's certain songs that you shouldn't be quoting on a Sunday morning. And uh, so I need to move on. And so anyway, we saw him walking towards us. And I saw him and it was exciting, but I didn't want to make, you know, make a big deal of it. I was a bit shy and, you know, I was not really a huge fan of his music and, um, and seeing him was enough, you know, and, and so I actually have a picture of R Rod Stewart's back as he's walking down the road, you know, that's, that's what happened. But my friend Vicky, she wanted a photo. And so she went up to Rod Stewart with this lady that he was with, and she asked for a, asked if she could have a photo with her. Now we'd call it a selfie, but this happened so long ago that selfies didn't exist then. And in fact, it wasn't a selfie. I was the one who was the cameraman. And so who was the person who ended up with a photo with Rod Stewart? It wasn't me. It was my friend Vicky, because she was willing to really burst into Rob, Rod's life at that moment and say, whatever you're doing, my needs are more important. And I want a picture with you. And so she ended up with it. But who will, who will be the one who, was, who will always be known as the person standing there holding their camera, taking the picture? That would be me. I'm not in the photo. And so the same is with this woman. She really bursts into Jesus's uh, life into the private party that he has because she wants to see him. And so her wish is, is really granted. And so my question for you again is, how much do you want him? How really desperate for him are you? How hungry are you for him? Because the Lord, he really does not respond to half-hearted worship. He never responds to half-hearted worship or to half-hearted hearts. He responds to people with really big needs as they bring their big needs to him, knowing that he's a big God. He wants you to crash the party. Jesus wants you to crash the party. That's why he actually holds up as an example this widow in Luke 18 verse 2, where he says, um, he says, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Now, for some time, he re refused, we read in Luke 18. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keep, keeps on bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So why did Jesus share this with us in, in Luke 18? Well, verse 1 of Luke 18 tells us to show his friends, to show those who are following him, that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. You know, once, I, 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 and so what the thinking here is, is that if a sinful human being will respond to a resolute, um, you know, lady who's just really stubborn, just so we can shut her up, then how much more will, will, will Lord God, who's willingly ready to act in response, how much more will he respond if someone sinful and weak 
responds. And so he knows that what our tendency is as human beings is to pray and then we give up. And then we remember and so we pray and then we give up. And so he's saying, no, that's not how you should do it. Let me show you what I'm like. Now, we don't know when this woman's daughter was um, first possessed by a demon, but it must have been um, her whole life, right? There was nothing in her life that existed outside of this reality of, of what, what was happening to her daughter. Um, okay, I'm just going to pause there because my little speaky thing's not working. When it's not working, I tend to have trouble with speaking. So let me just uh, see if I can have another bit of a kickstart. But if you listen to this online later, this won't be there, okay? Um, so I do actually have a little thing in my ear that, um, that, that helps me speak, even though I do have a stutter, as you may have realized. So. Anyway, now it's on again, so I'm hearing myself in my ear, and there's nothing I like more than hearing myself in my ear. It's my favorite thing ever. So uh, anyway, this, uh, my apologies for this, but it's, uh, you know, this is what happens when you let the Lord use you in your weakness, right? Is that, uh, you know, you, yeah. Okay, so we don't know when this, um, when this woman's daughter um, f first encountered this, this, this impure spirit, but, but what it would have meant for her is that you know, she would never have, have been able to have friends around. Um, she, she wasn't able to leave her daughter alone for the weekend. She wasn't able to go to friends' weddings. She, 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 she had to stay away from the marketplace because she didn't know what would happen. Um, in, in that context. So it was an all-consuming reality for her. And this little girl who was so perfect, who was a gift from God, who was this woman's hope for her future, something happened to her. You know, you know she, was, she was one day dreaming about what her future husband might look like, uh, and then suddenly everything changed. That, 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 that young little girl had changed. She was not herself anymore. She said the weirdest things at the weirdest times, and she was really self-destructive, we assume, because we read later in Mark chapter 9, verse uh, 22, of this young lad who this evil spirit would throw, it into, would throw this young boy into flames and into water. So maybe this was this young girl's experience as well. And so this woman's at the door of Jesus' private party. She's hammering on the door. She's saying, Jesus, you have, to, you have to do something. This woman was absolutely frantic. Her need was so huge. Her life was one of long nights of physical exhaustion and of dreams that were shattered on the ground. Her, her, her entire existence revolved around this uh, young lass and she couldn't leave her for a moment for fear of what would happen to her if she was left on her own. She knew that she needed a truly big God. Now, she'd likely heard about Jesus from folks from her, her town who were there in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, when, when just at the sight of Jesus, 
these, these, these impure spirits would fall down before him and they would cry, and they would cry out. So she'd heard about this because it says that people from that area were there at that moment in Mark chapter 3, verse 11. And so when her townsfolk returned home, they told her to go see Jesus probably, but she wasn't able to leave her alone and she wasn't able to travel, you know, the 40 or 50 miles where Jesus was. And so she kept on keeping on, exhausted and needy and heartbroken. And now she hears that Jesus Christ is in her neck of the woods. That coat is on and she's out of that door in seconds. And she, she thinks that she can probably leave her daughter alone uh, long enough to run around to that house where Jesus is at that moment in time. And so she's excited, she's hopeful, she's frantic. Her need is big and her request is huge. But too often our requests are small. We somehow think that, you know, um, we're maybe imposing on on. On him, or that he has all these huge things in the world, you know, all the earthquakes and the tsunamis and this and that and the other. So, you know, so we choose just to handle it ourselves and to keep on going on, muddling through life. We pray and then we give up. But we, but what we have to remember is 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, when we are told unreservedly in the context of God meeting all of our needs, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, it says this, and God is able to bless you, you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will, you will abound in every good work. You just... Um, you know, look at the, at, the, at the superlatives in that verse. It says abundantly. It says all things. It says all times. It says all you need. It says abound. It says every good work, all in that one little verse. And what about Luke chapter 12, where it says, uh, think about the ravens. They, they don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more, more valuable you are than they. So we need to take a page out of this lady's book. In her need, she was led up. To, uh, 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 she, she was led up to Jesus' door. She was breaking into Jesus' life to insist that He breaks into her life. She broke into Jesus' life to insist that He breaks into her life. She was bold. She was fearless. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. It's all looking good. What was Jesus' response? Verse twenty-seven. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Wow. That's great, Jesus. That's exactly what she wanted, you know, to hear. For you to call her a dog. That's awesome. And so, of course, when we read this verse, we've got many, many questions. What does he mean? You know, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, whose mercy, whose grace, whose love, and he's responding to a woman who's in need, and it's clear that she's in need, and he seems to be calling her a dog. He seems to be saying to her, I'm here to serve the children of Israel, and it wouldn't be right for me to take my time and my attention from what is theirs and to throw it to you. I'm here to fulfill um, my role here as the Messiah of the Jews. And so you have to wait your turn. I'll get to the Gentile dogs later down the road, so run along now. 
that's how I understood it when I first read it. And maybe you, you did too. And, and, and in some ways, Jesus is talking about his priorities as a ministry, um, like what he says in Romans 1 verse 16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so there is a priority of mission here. And so, and so Jesus might be saying to her, my priority right now is on the Jews, so, you know, on your bike. But when you think about the feeding of the 4,000, when you think about the healing of Crazy Dave, when you think about the miracles in the 10-city region, all of these take place in the Gentile world, in the Gentile land. And so it's clear that Jesus is already reaching out beyond um, his own land, even though his focus of ministry is there with, with his own folks. But what I think is that Jesus' confusing statement actually means something else. So a more likely reading of the passage is this. Okay, he's, he's there at the meal table with his friends. Um, they're, they're, they're in repose. They're kind of leaning on the floor as they would then with their, kind of, with their, with their elbow on the table. And they're sharing time together. And, and it's, it's, it's also probable that Jesus is sharing, you know, really good life lessons with them. Um, and that this is his focus right now because he knows that these are the 12 men who will take the message of the gospel into the whole world. And he knows that he has limited time. And so he's, and so he's really feeding them right now. And then this woman appears in the middle of this context of this retreat in need. And she asks for... Uh, and she asks for, for this healing, and Jesus responds and says, Let my children, my disciples, eat all they want. Let them receive from me. Let them eat their fill. This is my focus right now. And then he references this meal that they're sharing, and he says that if the family is sat down for supper, then the focus isn't on the, you know, on the pet dog or the puppy under the table that the focus is on the family, that the focus is there on the children. And the word that he used that is just translated here as dog actually means a really little dog. It's a tiny dog. It's a pet dog. It's a puppy. In the same way that in the feeding of the 4,000, if you read the word basket, it's actually translated uh, as man-sized basket. So you don't have the size um, really captured as you read this uh, in in, 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 as you read it in English, and so what, he, and so what's happening at this moment is that he's he's using what's happening there in front of them to show um, the members of the the members of the disciples and this woman that his focus, his number one priority, is the teaching and the discipling of the disciples. He's at home now with those that he loves, those who he's sharing life with. And, you know, as a pastor, I understand what that's like. You know, that, that there are some times when I have to say, okay, this time is for me and for Wendy and the girls. You know, um, you know, I, 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 you know because life can get really busy. And so, you know, so for us, Friday nights is when we sit down and we eat a pizza and we watch a movie. That's what... We do, you know, and that's why we enjoy walks, right? Because we're away from the office and the home and, you know, the phone and we can be on our own. That's not to say that, you know, there's no love for me to you, but, you know, at that moment in time, 
Wendy and the girls have to know that they have my attention. And so what Jesus is saying at this moment, and this, and this lady's looking on, is that he's saying to his men, he's saying, you're my number one right now. You know that this retreat, it's, it's yours. And that's maybe why, as you read in, in Matthew 15, that, that his lads say to him, send her away for, for she keeps crying out after us. Because they were exhausted and they were looking at some much needed time with their rabbi and their and so their margins were narrow and their and you know you know and they were really tired and so you know and so they say to him, send her away. And so what he says to her as she walks in that door is says, Right now, we're a family, and when we're a family, our focus is, is on me and the kids. Really, that's, uh, that, that's what he's saying. Now, there's this guy called Michael Card who says that Jesus' response to her is not a refusal. He's asking her to lean into his heart. That's what's happening here. It's not a refusal. He's asking her to lean into his heart. And she says, yes, okay. Verse uh, 28, she says, Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And I love this. Because what this is, it's a Gentile woman who's most likely a single mum with a really needy child, and she's just, you know, walked into Jesus' party, and she's just had some sort of a rebuff, but now we see how feisty she is, and how, how um, you know, you know that, that she really wants this. You know, and so she joins in the fun at this moment with this, with this scene which Jesus is, is sharing with her. And, and she starts being witty and sharing retorts with him. She, it's, it's some sort of a verbal sparring match. And so Jesus loves this, okay? He isn't, he's not this kind of, you know, dreary, weary person that uh, um, uh, we often think he is. He's actually really funny. He's really witty. And that's what we see here. Because, because what he sees in this response is this resolute answer. And she's shown him, at that moment, her heart. She's shown him her heart. She's shown him that she's a person with faith. Now, there are many people who, you know, who can say, I'm a person of faith. And that really can mean anything. It's one of those meaningless things that can mean 1,000 things to 1,000 different people. But she's not shown that she's a person of faith. She's shown that she's a person with faith. And when you have a person with faith, that person is armed and truly dangerous. Um, that if you're a person with faith, then you will stop at nothing to let the Lord know what your request is. And so the person of faith will actually crash the party. And the person of faith um, is, knows that what's on their heart and mind is so really vital that it needs the mind and the attention of mighty God that this person with faith is so sick and tired of the status quo that they won't stand for it anymore. And so this woman, you know, as we read a few chapters ago, who went, went, went through the crowd hiding herself and she just reached out and she touched onto Jesus' um, hem of his robe. That was a person with, with faith. Those four friends who made a hole in the roof to, to um, 
make sure that their friend reached Jesus. They were, those were people with faith. And Jesus saw their faith and he healed that man. And so what we see right now is that Jesus knows this lady's heart. She, his response wasn't callous. His response wasn't mean or hard-hearted. He was likening her, her to a puppy under the table waiting for the crumbs. He, he, was, he was really trying to draw out of her what was there. This yearning for change. This hope for, uh, for hope. Like I said, he was asking her to lean in. And so he really put an obstacle in her path because he knew her heart. He knew that, that she would see that obstacle and it would not cause her to lose hope, but instead that obstacle would actually cause her to, to climb on top of it so that she would see something, a new view that she'd never seen before. He wanted her to be so single-minded that Christ was all that she had at that moment in time. And what this also shows us is how Jesus views us as the church. Let, 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 let me explain uh, what I mean by that. If, it, if he could say to that lady, you have to wait a moment because what I'm doing with these men, you know, who were the start of the church is so absolutely important and so absolutely vital, then what's happening here on a Sunday morning is also absolutely important, absolutely vital. What you are hearing right now is absolutely important, absolutely vital. You know, uh, you know and so the Lord really puts a priority on the church, on us sat here right now. Really, he says to her that what you feel about your young lass right now that's how I feel about these lads right now here in this room with me. You want her to have hope and a different future? Well, that's exactly how I feel about these men right now. You want, her, you want to see her, her become all that she can be? You want to see her happy and content and running around with the other kids? That's what I want to see as well with these men, with this church. We see this, this heart which will leave heaven and end up on the cross because of you, you, you and I. We see that heart which will take what is broken and what has all of the wrong things inside it and which is miserable and which is hopeless and which will recreate it in an instant into something that is whole and healthy and which is focused on the Lord. We see the heart that says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so on that day, in that room, this small church in its fetal stage also has this woman. Uh, they're included in it. And so he says to her in verse, verse uh, 29, then he said to her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter, she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. He was true to his word. Without leaving what he was doing right now, which was the most important thing to him, without leaving, he simply tells her that, that what was inside her daughter has now left. 
He never crossed a lake. He never looked at the girl in the eye. He never waved his hands or, you know, he simply said what would happen and it happened. He was there at the meal and that meal went on. And even as the meal was going on with the children, there there under the table was a needy puppy and she was being fed at the same time. He healed her with a thought. And those words that she was longing for and waiting for and hungering for were finally said. And while, and, and while he was doing that, he was still able to keep focus on what was most important to him, which is the building of the church. And so what that shows us is that, is that Jesus Christ has a long game. And that long game starts with those men in that room and that woman in that room. And now, now, now continues with us. It's the establishment of the kingdom of the servant king. This ranks as number one in his mind. But the good news is that he also asks us to share with him our faith-filled requests. He's never too busy. In fact, he's thrilled. He's enchanted by our faith-filled requests, just as a parent is thrilled and entranced by the child's first words or the child's first um, yeah, their, their, their first word. He responds. You know, so I know that it seems like the Lord's being mean at this point, that, uh, that he's saying, you aren't a priority. They are. But what we find out is that Jesus isn't just about healing. No, he's also about making a church. And so this, um, and so even though he talks to her about healing, you know, He's actually discipling her at that moment too. He's showing her a lesson that she will never forget. She's, that, that he's saying, he's asking her to share with him in this life that is more than just about healing. She's asking her to be part of the church. And so, and so Jesus longs for healing. He longs for healing in you and he longs for healing in, in me, but not just temporal healing. He longs for healing of the soul. He wants to patch up our deepest hurts and to meet our deepest needs. And, and he does that through, through saying, I want to invite you into fellowship so that he can make in us small versions of himself. Psalm 84 says this, One day um, I would rather, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of, of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather have one day with you than 1,000 days elsewhere. And, you know, uh, uh, and this lady at this moment is saying, I'd rather have crumbs eaten from the table of Jesus Christ than a five-course meal from anywhere else. And maybe you're still lingering on that thought, but he was... He was mean, you know. Why did he say what he said? But, but what I'd like to leave you with is this thought, is that he didn't have to go to this region for his retreat. He chose it because he knew that in the neighborhood where this house was, was, was this woman with this extreme need. And he knew that she needed him. And, and so 
he chose that location so that she would have this opportunity. He, 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 he traveled 40 miles so that she could meet him. And, you know, for you and for me, is that he took another journey from, from heaven through to an animal feeding trough, through to a cross, and then a tomb, and then, in, and then into the depths of hell, and then resurrection. Why? So that you could meet him and me as well. In fact, he led you here right now on Sunday morning because he wants you to meet him. And so maybe you feel like you've been knocking on the door of heaven and you're still waiting for a response. Well, my, my, my plea is that you knock and you knock and you knock and you knock because as you knock, then the door will be open to you. As you ask, then what, then what you need will, will be given to you. Seek and you will find. You see, the Lord's not, he, he really doesn't want um, people who are merely polite in the way that they pray. He wants people who are praying as if someone's life is on the line. That's what he wants, like someone's soul is at stake. He wants, he, you know, he wants us to pray knowing that if he doesn't do something, then all is lost. That's what he wants. You know, he wants people to walk up to him and say, well, uh, you know, when you said this in the Bible, did you really mean it? He wants you to do that. He, he wants your, uh, your Bible to be so worn out and ratty because you've been looking through it for material for prayer that it's really embarrassing to look at. That's what he wants. He wants it to be wrinkled from years of tears. No, he wants you to be so hungry for him that you were there under the table looking for the crumbs like they are the greatest feast. And he wants you to know that as you read his word, you find out who he is. And as you find out who he is, then you do have the confidence to walk up to him and to hold him accountable to what he's already said. That's what he wants. He wants a bold prayer. And he wants your risks of um, hurting because you are there, you know, um, um, because you know what it is to um, really work on the door handle over and over again because you want in, you want him. And so sometimes it feels like he's maybe making obstacles for our faith, for faith that he's, 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 he's making things hard for us. But these are the moments that he's inviting us to lean into him. Because it's at these moments when you pray and you pray and you pray like someone's life is, is, is there on the line. It's at those moments that you feel his heart. These are the moments that you would never trade for the world. And so those things that look like an obstacle, those are the things that our faith can climb on. And from that place, then we know what it is to launch and to take flight 
in the wind of the Holy Spirit. 